Thank you very much. Um, I was just going to do an experiment. Do you think it made it more or less likely that you opened the Bible, the fact that it was on the, wasn't on the screen this morning? More? I think it does. I, I like it on the screen. It's like nice big letters, and I don't have to put my glasses on. But I, I'm sort of going to do the reading again, so I thought you might as well have the Bible, and you can sort of read for yourselves. So I will be going through the story again a bit later, but it's page 1032, if you want to follow. I'm going to pray. Today, um, a theme is connecting with God, and I probably go nowhere near helping us as much as uh, we'd love to be helped. But we'll have a small glimpse of what that might mean for some of us. So Lord, Lord, help us to connect with you through your written word, but more than that, through your living word. I pray, Lord, that um, as we go through this passage this morning, that we too would encounter your presence and bow to your authority and receive your love. Amen. So, got a few questions to start off with. Just thinking about Jesus in the passage, his presence, his person. Imagine yourself into that situation. Who do we observe in the Bible passage? How do we listen? And I suppose what should we do? And that's a question that you need to answer for yourself probably. So in Luke 5, Jesus has already gathered a massive crowd. Uh, He's been rejected in chapter 4. Uh, reading the scriptures from Isaiah and saying, uh, these scriptures have been um, fulfilled in your presence. And they wanted to chuck him off a cliff. Uh, He went to another synagogue. He seems to like synagogue and he did an exorcism there, which uh, was great for the man with the evil spirit, but didn't seem to go down too well. Probably with a few others. That's not what you do in synagogues or churches. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Then... Uh, The healing of Peter's mother-in-law, which we heard about last week um, in Capernaum, Luke 4.38. And um, Jesus is basically amazing people with his teaching, with the signs and the wonders that point to the kingdom of God. To point to Jesus' true identity. Then he teaches some unschooled, ordinary men. You can read about the description of them in Acts, but they were basically ordinary fishermen. He gives them a fishing lesson, which I don't know, last week we thought about. I'm not sure how uh, receptive I would have been. And then he says he's going to change their skill to be fishers of men. As much as um, Jesus tried to get away, and he needed solitude, as we do from time to time, some more than others, the crowds followed him. In chapter 5, 16, the crowd seemed to find him. How do you or would you respond to being observed, scrutinized intensely? Say you're a person that was in public life. How would this feel? I'm just thinking about some of the teachers among you. They get a fair amount of scrutiny. Everyone does these days, you can't do anything without someone 
watching you, and I'll put it to you, they watch you even more closely in some context if you're a Christian. Every action observed, every word poured over. Here's Jesus, Luke 5.20, in the middle of a house, crammed full of people, them hanging on his every word, anticipating maybe the next sign and wonder. Not all were observing and scrutinizing with good intent. Those with the job to help people to find faith, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, uh, seem to um, have it in their brief, as we'll find out later, to, to punish or worse anyone that might stray from the very narrow, narrow path that they were encouraging. Those of us who are bold enough to share our personal connection with God, our connection with Jesus, our faith in Jesus, are likely to be more uh, forensically scrutinized. This week, um, I responded to a luncheon invitation. Have any of you had a luncheon invitation recently? Vic is getting them from time to time. Would you respond to one to go to Hounslow, to a curry in Hounslow? I did. Stuart Wright invited me to go to Hounslow. You must have a curry. Working with him is this Indian chap, pastor, who, um, really impressive guy. He knows about curry houses. So he was entrusted with the task to take the vicar from Claygate to Curry, And I got there only to discover there was three of us, Stuart, his associate minister, me, and this uh, pastor uh, from India that works with him now. Uh, and um, we're all drinking water. So you don't have to worry. It is lunchtime. Um, and most of us had a curry, apart from the Indian pastor that took us there. Did he know the owners? He was fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. I quizzed him about um, his faith and his ministry. Always keen to learn something from someone um, about faith and how to do ministry. And he shared some stories about what it was like in India. And get this, he prayed a prayer. Maybe loads of you have prayed this prayer. Lord, take me to the toughest place in India to share the gospel. Take me to the toughest place in India. That's where he learnt about prayer and fasting. He prayed and he fasted for three years and nothing happened. He got beaten, he got persecuted, and ultimately there was breakthrough. It's humbling to be in the presence. I found it deeply moving to be in the presence of who I perceive to be a holy man that stopped at nothing to share his faith in Jesus. And people came to faith in that context. Few of us have experienced abuse or brutal persecution for our faith. Maybe opposition, ridicule, and maybe other forms of mild abuse. Some of you will get the uh, literature from Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Bill and a couple of others, the church, are associated with them. Um, over the Christmas period, some of you got the message that uh, a church, the early rain church in China, was continued to be monitored. I, I don't know whether there was a picture on the BBC around that sort of time, but I can imagine the Secret Service with their iPhones or something like that, or whatever you have in China, filming and recording everything just in case they uh, step out of line. 
we're told that um, following the mon- monitoring, they were harassed and prevented from meeting. Approximately 23 people were detained and disappeared, including their pastor and his wife. Great to be a pastor in Claygate. Not so great, maybe, to be one in China. Approximately 20 to 30. On the, approximately the 21st of during the 21st the 31st of December, the authorities also closed churches and confiscated materials from unregistered church groups in, um, all over the region. And um, we're told that school children were warned not to participate in Christian events. Let me take you back to the passage. Is it page 1032? I'm going to reread parts of Luke 5. Who and what do you observe? How do they listen? What should they or we do? Verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. They'd come from far and wide. Not noticed that before. They were there to check out Jesus' credentials. They were sticklers, as we know, for keeping to the letter of the law. Sound teaching um, was their thing. Uh, The thought police, maybe, they came to see if Jesus' words and actions matched up with their understanding of God's law. If Jesus was uh, leading a quiet life, away from the public glare, he'd have been no threat to them. And stirred little interest. Jesus burst out of his childhood and early adult obscurity with words and actions that were to shape the fabric of the society that they lived in the world ever since. He proposed to take people to a deep connection with the living God. From now on, there'd be no evading or escaping the crowds, verse 17b, because the power of the Lord was on him to heal the sick. What a wonderful quality to observe in Jesus, his power, his authority, and people got well. If Jesus said and did nothing, then there would be no crowds and no connection. If healing and preaching were not controversial enough, he proceeds to forgive sins. I wonder if the gospel accounts about Jesus would be compelling if we just stripped away all the healings, edited out, you know, some of those amazing miracles. Let's get rid or ignore the exorcisms, his authority over evil. What if we just dumbed down his teaching and left to our own opinions and devices, maybe left to our own vices. Maybe we do that by default when we fail to read, mark, and inwardly digest God's word. And it takes some interpreting, but we need to be looking and exploring And it's the number one way that God makes a connection with us along with prayer and worship. If we remove the core message of this passage, that sin is a problem, and that Jesus has the authority 
to forgive sins, and it takes a lot of courage when you've got a lot of people looking, then we would have a fairly impotent gospel. Now, the Bible indicates that sometimes there's a link between sickness and sin. Often there isn't. I don't think there is a clear link between sickness and sin here. They're just mentioned in the same passage, Luke 13, 1 to 5, and gives sort of other examples. You'll have heard the expression in Matthew 5, 45, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sick people um, are not necessarily more sinful than folks that aren't sick. I think that's quite important for us to know. Occasionally there is a link though. In Luke 5, the paralyzed man is not told to go and sin no more. Elsewhere, others are told to go and sin no more. He's just told that his sins are forgiven. And if he's wise, he won't sin anymore. doesn't say that. That's me. And then to underline Jesus' authority, Jesus tells him to take up his mat and walk. Jesus doesn't say, as I've said already, that his sin has caused his infirmity it seems that they're separate issues. Within this first century culture, it wasn't too hard to find yourself if you're in infirmity on the margins of the religious community. They had rules and regulations to filter those lot out. Imagine being incapacitated in some way and for a very long time and not have the ability or the resources within to do anything about it. We read in verse 18, some men came carrying the paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him to the house and lay him before Jesus. According to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, it was four men that did this. And in Mark's Gospel, Jesus notices the faith of the four men and doesn't mention the faith of the paralytic. These men were persistent and resourceful, refused to be crowded out and were not ashamed to jump the queue from the back to the front and get this paralyzed man on his mat right in front of Jesus at his feet. Not very British, is it? Verse 19, when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, and in the crowd there's both friend and foe, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, I suggest, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks this blasphemy? Who can forgive sins except God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, but to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive. The Son of Man, a term used in the book of Daniel. He said the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. 
And verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. And we're told, verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. A few reflections. Three and a bit, actually. Firstly, about Jesus' supreme authority. Jesus challenged the authority of the religious leaders. It's a demonstration of authority over dead, legalistic religion. It's a demonstration of authority over sickness. And most significantly for me, it's a demonstration of authority over sin. Only God can forgive sins. Those spying on Jesus saw this as a blasphemy. The punishment for blasphemy is death. They'd get their way. But God had a higher way because death wasn't the last word. We're invited to connect with God, humbly recognizing his authority, his lordship over all things. Jesus, be my Lord. Secondly, Healed for eternity. Yesterday, some of us were privileged to go to the men's breakfast and heard Max Sinclair speak to us. This might not mean anything to some of you unless I describe the scene. Max did the talk uh, very humbly and very peacefully, sitting in a wheelchair. He was paralyzed 40 years Ago, in a car crash, he described it a little bit like this. I'm not sure that it was Devon, but he was going home with his wife in the front seat and a one-year-old child in the back seat, 40 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour along, I think it was a Devon road, but it's in that direction. The significance is there was someone traveling 45 miles an hour in the other direction that went to sleep at the wheel. They crashed. Fortunately, Max's wife survived with little injury. I imagine she was shaken up. The one-year-old child on the back seat walked away as well. Max didn't. He was paralyzed from his neck down. Yesterday, he was talking to us about investment and the sort of investments that we make in this life to build up treasures in heaven. I don't think it was just me. You hear him talk, but... He'd got a real treasure, his faith in the Lord Jesus that kept him secure when everything seemed to go pear-shaped and the Lord's given him a life and a ministry um, of an evangelist and encouraging people to come to faith. I think he had some recovery for some years, but he said yesterday that old age has caught up with him again, so he was preaching from his wheelchair. In the passage, the paralyzed man was brought to Jesus on a mat. 
The Bible teaches that it's possible to be healed. And it's something I think that we should be encouraged to ask for in prayer. Jesus modeled it. His disciples modeled it. When it happens, it's amazing. And we do need to keep on praying. However, any healing this side of heaven is temporal. We all eventually die of something. The real and eternal prize is inner healing. In forgiving the man's sins, Jesus makes him fit for heaven, fit to be in the presence of a holy God for eternity. This is Jesus's central purpose in God's rescue mission. Eternal connection with God. True healing brings salvation. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. Thirdly, a personal encounter with Jesus is the wellspring of praise. A personal encounter with Jesus is the wellspring of praise. It's interesting to note who praises God in this passage and who doesn't. Verse 25, the paralyzed man stood up praising God. No surprise there. The healing, yes. The praise, no. His mates, one imagines, it doesn't say, have something to praise God for too. Their friendship and love and determination prompted action. Verse 26, the open-hearted and open-minded in the crowd are amazed and have something to celebrate too. Maybe even some, and I speculate, maybe even some of the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law were persuaded to change their view a little. But who wasn't? I suspect those far-traveled Pharisees and teachers of the law, the experts in the faith, exposed now in their doubts and cynicism, may have felt publicly humiliated. We know from reading the rest of the Gospels, they set about baying for Jesus' blood. Jesus needed to die. Two questions to ponder. You might struggle to take these in. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to try my very best. What are your barriers and opportunities to finding a deeper connection with God? I could give a whole list, just give you a few moments to think. What are your barriers or and or opportunities to finding a deeper connection with God? It's going to be different for each of us. What are the barriers and opportunities that we create that hinder or help others to find a deep I'd like like to add saving connection with God, with Jesus. What are the barriers and opportunities that we create that hinder or help others to find a deep connection with God? 
I've um, read this passage in Luke 5 loads and loads and loads. I'm sure you all have too. A couple of things I didn't notice. That was the far and wide travellers that were in the audience. And the other one, um, they had just, just brushed over really, is I don't think I'd understood properly before that the crowd gathering round Jesus in the house effectively became a barrier to others connecting with Jesus. So the crowd gathering round, and let's say it was a really holy huddle and really expectant huddle, they became the barrier. Unless they'd been resourceful, this man stays paralysed and had to do some quite radical stuff to fight this person to the front of the queue. Courageous and resourceful friends working together were needed to get this vulnerable man placed at the feet of Jesus. I just wonder, might we do church a little bit like that from time to time in our holy huddles? We can be really keen, and I think in praise and worship it's great to be really keen about worshipping God, and we can do more of that as long as it's not to the exclusion, like in the crowded room, of stopping the people that most need to find salvation and finding Jesus for themselves. On my visit to Hounslow this week, they were just sort of sharing stories. It's like ordinary stories, like a Sikh, a Muslim and a Hindu came to faith and they were baptised the week before. Like that happens all the time all around the country, doesn't it? In my mind, that's pretty tough. That's miraculous stuff. That's born out of prayer and fasting. That's born out of people prepared to share the gospel because it's not an obvious thing to do. And it just made me think, other barriers to people connecting with Jesus so much harder in Claygate? My view is that folks out there, they might be a little bit distracted, but most people in our communities don't have to come from another faith. There's something there. Probably the seeds of faith might have been sown and they just need to be helped uh, by the Holy Spirit to discover them. My view is that people, people are often much more close than we think. Is HTC too hard to access for those from a non-church background? If so, we might need to create different opportunities to do church within and beyond this building. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law were certainly guilty of building fences and barriers around the law that made it nigh on impossible for the non-religious to find access to God. Lord, forgive me and forgive us if in direct or indirect ways we do this also. Some in our local community may choose to keep their distance from God and this church one man this week, just outside the parish boundary, told me that he didn't do religion. I said I was absolutely delighted, and I hoped on a good day I didn't do religion either. We want to encourage faith. I'm certain that many people in our community might need some mat carriers and roofers to bring them to church, metaphorically speaking, 
they're not making the journey without a lot of help. In fact, last week, I think we might have commissioned a few people to be fishers of men. I'd like to commission you this Sunday to be mat carriers and roofers also. It took a community of four mat carriers to work together to bring the paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. I'd like to bless those of you in this congregation who've had an exercise of similar ministry. There's a few people on Alpha this time because a few folks have journeyed with them and are still journeying with them. There was a few people at the men's breakfast yesterday because someone brought them. It'll be the same in their droves, I imagine, to the women's breakfast in a few weeks' time, to craft and carols, beers and carols. The event that Holly put on for parents, um, helping them to understand how to communicate and understand their youth. We didn't have to twist anyone's arm to get over 70 people in Emmanuel Hall within that context of the Christian community learning some practical stuff Toddlers praise, connections. Pippa this week was sharing a story about seeing someone at a bus stop encouraging them to come to connections. I hope they were the right age. But, um, but isn't that just, so, we need to be proud of our church and confident that people are going to meet the living God when we bring people into this place. Who are we being called to exercise faith on behalf of who will struggle to find Jesus without our help. In um, chapter 19, sorry, in in verse 19 of chapter 5, The man on the map was placed in front of Jesus. Anyone want to do any role play with me now? What does it feel like on the mat? I imagine if I was lying here for any length of time... Um, My wife would say, I'm going to go to sleep. So if that happens in the sermon, um, it'll be the first time maybe the vicar has gone to sleep in the sermon (laughs) that he's preaching. But we, we have, yes, anyway. But how about being incapacitated? How about being on this mat? How about... Um, hearing all the commotion around me, maybe I can't even move my neck, I'm speculating now, and Jesus is in town, this great healer, and I'm just stuck here in this place and can't do anything. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have some friends that would come and get me? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they weren't deterred by the crowds? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they were determined because of their faith in Jesus, that I could be ministered to by Jesus. Some of you this morning, spiritually, are stuck on this mat. Some of you this morning need to hear the life-giving words of Jesus. 
you're forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and walk. Me speculating again, what if just one of the folks signed up for Matt carrying what would have happened to the paralyzed man? I'd love us to be a church that not only hears the words of Jesus, this which is the significant thing. We need to know that we're forgiven. And I think some of us do carry infirmities in all sorts of different ways. And maybe you're meant to carry some of this stuff. There's like passages about sort of thorns in the flesh and Jesus' grace being sufficient. But from a spiritual perspective, I don't know what you need help with. But some of us need He could have been told to get up and he could have stayed where he was, couldn't he? And I want you to hear this morning Jesus' forgiveness and his get up and get on with your life in a faith-filled and praise-filled way. And maybe out of our paralysis the Lord would commission a few more of us to be faith-filled mat carriers. Amen.